Good morning. Happy Sunday. Good to see you. You doing well? I don't know why I'm yelling. It just felt right. <laughs> Maybe it's is it the echo. You doing well? Well, well, well. Well, welcome to church. I'm Billy. If we haven't met, thanks for being here. It's good to see you on this, the first day of May. You know, this day is like a national holiday. It's called May Day. Who knew that? Oh, wow. <laughs> My circle of friends were like, what is May Day? Oh, that's what pilots say when they're going down. I'm like, why are, why are we celebrating this? <laughs> well, happy May Day. I don't know what it means, but I'll tell you what, I'm ready for the sun. Jen, I love you, babe. You're so gangster. She's like, I may not be book smart, but I am street smart. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. <laughs> Living in Bellevue. I got you. <laughs> you can't be street smart if you're from Bellevue. But you're not from Bellevue. You're from Atlanta, the ATL. I understand. Well, hey, I hope that you're doing well. Hey, at the end of this month, I'm super excited about this. You can put it on your calendar or don't. We'll, we'll remind you every week. But May 29th, the end of this month, we're doing a church barbecue, which honestly, I may like church barbecues better than I like church. <laughs> um, we're gonna, we rented out all the pavilions at Juanita, at Juanita Beach in Kirkland. Washington, right on the lake, and so instead of having church on that Sunday, it's the fifth Sunday this month, we're going to meet there at one o'clock, one to four. We'll provide all the meat, and we'll bring all like the beverages and stuff, and here's the thing, I'm going to go old school on you real quick, and I don't know if you've ever been to church or you ever grew up in the South, but we usually do these things called potlucks, and if you don't know what a potluck is, we'll just call it a share a dish, and what it means is we bring the meat, I'll bring the burgers and the hot dogs and the drinks and the sausages and the, all that deal, and we'll grill it up, but you bring... Your, your family unit brings like that one thing that you're famous for. Maybe it's your macaroni and cheese. Maybe it's your street corn. I don't know, I'm trying to think of things. Maybe it's your mashed potatoes. If you're 22, maybe it's your bag of chips. <laughs> I love these ruffles. <laughs> you know? But everyone shows up and we're gonna put it all out on these tables and we are just going to feast. And if you're one of the you know, athletic, kind of fitness people in our community, make it your cheat day, all right? Because we are going to party on May 29th. There's tons of stuff for the kids. There's a playground. We're on the water. You can swim. There's paddleboard rentals, and there's a tennis court, and there's volleyball courts. We're going to have a blast. So end of the month, put it on your calendar. We're doing church by the lake. Sound good? Ah, oh, I can't wait for it. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. All right, we are starting uh, a series today, and uh, I've been really excited about this. To be honest, I've been just preparing for this series. This sermon series has been ministered to my soul, and so I know and believe that it's going to be really good for our community. And we've, we've entitled it, Save Me From The Night, which is so provocative. <laughs> if, you, if you pay attention, most of the sermon titles that I will deliver from this stage are lines or titles from songs. So... You could go back. That's pretty much where all of that comes from. You're like, oh, is it like, is it like the Holy Spirit speaking to you? No, it's an artist singing a song. And I'm like, that's it. Um, but I want to title this series, Save Me From The Night. And kind of what we'll do over the next weeks is we'll highlight various aspects of the night. Quotations. What is the night? Well, I think the night can be different things for all of us in different seasons of life. It can be um, depression or despair, or it could be... Um, fame in the spotlight success you know that's true right like you could you could be at the top of the mountain and be in the middle of the night um maybe it's it could be addiction for you and that feeling of being trapped or it could be um 
a false sense of confidence and pride. It could be, you know, lack of purpose and plan, or it could be tragedy, or it could just be heartbreak. The night comes in all different ways. Here's one thing I know. Um, the night might look different for you, but it comes to all of us. Every single one of us will experience the night of life. There's this one book that calls it the dark night of the soul. And sometimes it hits us when we're not, when we're not expecting it. And other times we kind of see it coming. But wherever you are, there's only one thing, only one thing in the world that can save us from the night. And that is the light. Now my Bible tells me that Jesus declared that I am the light of the world. And so we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about how the night comes for us and how Jesus can save us from the night. Here's the thing. God doesn't remove the night from our lives, but he lights it up. And uh, I'm not going to come up here and kind of say hey, we're never going to have hard times. You're never going to go through dark places. You're never going to find yourself in a precarious situation or depression or heart heartache or difficulty. But I will tell you this. God lights up the night because he is the light of the world and that's our hope and that's what we believe here at this church and that's what we'll preach perpetually so i'm excited for that let's go to the scripture verse real quick and then we'll read it we'll pray and we'll get going sound good go with me if you will to luke chapter 5 verse 1 through 11 i'm gonna read from the new king james version it just feels right it's a little more spiritual they tell me it doesn't have as many as the these and thous as the King James, but it's got a few of them. There's some shells in there. Thou shell. All right, this is Jesus. It says, so it, was, so it was as the multitude pressed around Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to Master, we have toiled all night long and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, with a big sigh, <laughs> nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Interesting how it ends right there. So when they got to the land, they forsook all of it, all the success, all the gain, and they followed Jesus. I'd like to just highlight and emphasize verses 5 and 6 for our reading this morning. But Simon answered and said to Jesus, Master, we have toiled all night long and caught nothing. If you can't relate with that, you can't relate with life. <laughs> no truer statement has ever been uttered. We have toiled all night long, and we have nothing to show for it. Yet, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. One more place, John 8, 12, Jesus declares this. He says this in some of the most profound words in Scripture. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life the light of life. 
Simon says, we've told all night long and we have nothing to show for it. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For part one in our series, titling this, this sermon, Save Me From the Night. Save me from the night. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us as only you can. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I know that you know every detail of all of our lives, everyone that's in church this morning. And Lord, whatever the night looks like for us, whether it be discouragement or frustration or whether it be tragedy or heartbreak or maybe it's fame and success, we've lost our way up there. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, which is save us. Open our eyes. Help us to see you. Give us clarity. Give us perspective. Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence here. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. <clears throat> um, interruptions can be super irritating. Am I right? Can we all agree on that? Have you ever been interrupted? Someone just, you know, you're talking or you're going through your daily life and you just kind of get interrupted. Um, that's what I see when I read this first passage. It was a kind of a divine interruption. But I remember Jen and I started a podcast. We do a podcast, weekly podcast. It's kind of fun. It's called Coffee Talk with Billy and Jen. And um, <laughs> we've been doing it for three years. No one listens, but it's great for us. We have a really good time. And uh, a little bit into it, she started getting mad at me. She's like, because, you know, we're like, we, we tag team. Like, we go back and forth. We just banter. And she's like, you keep cutting me off. You keep interrupting me. I'm like, babe. And I didn't see it. I'm like, I'm not interrupting you. I'm like, I'm keeping it lively, entertaining. You tend to ramble, <laughs> which wasn't a good thing to say to my wife. And um, I'll never forget, like, a couple weeks later, you get reviews. You know, if you have podcasts, you can write reviews and stuff, you know, and they can star you or whatever. And their review came in and said, I love this podcast, but Billy, stop interrupting your wife. <laughs> and I was, like, personally, like, kind of, it was a jab at me. <laughs> and to this day, I didn't know who it was because you see, like, the little handle. I'm pretty sure Jen, like, made an account and put that in there. <laughs> I know you did. So she was like, see? And so I decided to go back and listen to a few of the episodes where we had done it and come to find out. I wanted to punch myself in the throat, man. I'm like, I mean, I was so irritated. I was interrupting her. She'd be talking mid-sentence. I'd jump in and like take over her story. And I was like, babe, it's irritating, right? Like it can be super, super frustrating when we get interrupted. Um, when we were youth pastors uh, in our 20s in Atlanta, Georgia, we had an open door policy when it came to our home, meaning like it was just, is like open house. You could just come in. People come in all the time. It was a revolving door around our house. I mean, this is kind of how we did life. Our, our house happened to be pretty close to the church where we were youth pastors. So, I mean, kids would come over, students would come over, college kids would come over, friends would come over, people just driving by would come over, be like, hey, help yourself to the fridge. Sometimes they'd come over, we wouldn't even be there. I'd show up to my house and people are in my house. So I'm like, Hey, what was your name again? You know, like, but it was kind of the policy we had. And I didn't mind it. And then, you know, because I kind of loved company. When we were kids growing up, um, when the doorbell would ring, right, like I'd be, I'd be thrilled. Like, you know, have you ever, I had five brothers and sisters, when the doorbell would ring or someone would knock, we'd be like, I'll get it. You know, we like race to the door to see who it is. Like, what did you bring? Are you saying? You know, and it's like, it was so exciting. And I feel like as I got older, either society changed or I changed. But like, as I got older, my kids got a little older, when the, when the doorbell would ring, I'd be like, duck, don't say a word, you know, like, hide, you know, someone would be like, stop moving, like, maybe they'll go away, <laughs> you know, like, I didn't want to see anybody, and, and so I don't know what happened, I don't know if we changed, but interruptions, for the most part, are kind of irritating, right, like, they just, and so I remember we were youth pastors in our 20s, 
um, sometimes Jen and I would get the kids to bed, and sometimes we'd make a little dinner, and sometimes we'd light a little candle, and sometimes there'd be a little extracurricular activity. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. If you don't, forget about it, right? <laughs> and so, but I'll never forget, there's, there were certain times where, like, you know, we're at dinner, and there's a knock on the door, and I walk over, and because we developed this policy, it's Bob and Judy. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, hey, neighbor, just walking by, thought we'd say hi. And I'm like, okay. Hi? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then there's that awkward kind of silence. Maybe you've ever been here before. And I'm like, do you, do you, do you want to come in? Like, I don't want them to come in, but I don't want to be rude. I'm like, do you, do you want to come in? And they come in, and we're starting to chit-chat. And, oh, all your kids are here, all five of them. Great, you know. Feel free to jump on my furniture, paint on my walls. And so it was kind of this, like, it was an interruption. And I remember for sure, and then there'd be times where, like, they would hang. Have you ever had, there's one thing for someone to, to kind of crash your plans. Have you had someone stay longer than you had hoped they would stay? No one here has experienced that. Don't look around. Like, none of you have ever, like, gone to someone's house and after five hours been like, should we get some food to take out? You know, I, you know we, so we used to have this where people would, like, be there. It'd be three hours, four hours. And at some point, you're like, okay. And so, you know, you're kind of ready to kind of call it a night. But they're not getting the hint. So I would start to drop hints. I'd be like, man, got a, whew, got an early morning tomorrow. Probably should get to bed. They're like, oh, yeah, how's the job? Yeah, hey, how's Jack doing? I'm like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm actually trying to end the night, not continue a conversation. So I'd, I'd continually drop hints like, um, whoo, man, rough day today. Need some sleep. What happened? Tell me about it. <laughs> and so we just, I remember one time we were having, you know, it had been about three or four hours, and we had just been chit-chatting. And at one point, I'm like, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. We're just kind of talking, and I'm kind of trying to wind it down. And the person's like, you guys hungry? Should we get food? Should we order in? And I literally go, order in where? And I was like, honestly, we could, I'll pay for it. We could order to your house. And by the time you get home, you'll be good. Like the food will be there for you. Jen, my wife, is a gangster. And so there have been times in our home, and if you've ever been a part of this, you understand, don't take it personal. It's just how she rolls. So you've been there for seven hours. We can't even keep our eyes open anymore. And Jen will literally just get up and be like, well, going to bed, night. <laughs> and she'll leave. And she leaves me with our guests. I'm like, oh. Cool. <laughs> you know, and I, okay, the worst case was my parents were the worst at this. And so my mom would do what my wife does. She would just go to bed, and my dad would be there, and he was so kind. And he would just wait. And I'll never forget there was one night we had all gone to bed. He told us this later. And this family, who weren't even really, really close to us, but they were just kind of hanging out. And there was like them and their three kids. It was about 1130 at night. And my dad finally was like, honestly, guys, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be rude, but I have to go to bed now. And they're like, oh, no problem. We're just going to finish this movie. We'll lock up when we leave. That's true. And my dad was so caught off guard. He's like, okay. <laughs> he went up to bed. You know, it's like interruptions can be so, so irritating with people. An interruption is often a frustrating inconvenience. But with God, an interruption is often a supernatural intervention. With God? His interruptions are sometimes miraculous interventions in our life. The whole passage that we read this morning, it starts out with Jesus intentionally interrupting Simon and the disciples. It's on purpose. He sees something happening. We're going to get into it in just a second. He sees something happen. He's like, oh, oh, I'm going to interrupt him. But when God interrupts us, it is so different from when man interrupts us. I typically don't like interruptions, but a God interruption, if we could think it through and if we could see it from another perspective, it's actually the opportunity for a miracle to unfold in our lives. So here's what I'm going to do. 
Here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to take, take the text that we read, and I want to I offer four ways that God saves us from the night. I want to offer four ways that we can take from the sex where God saves us from the night we find in lives. I believe it's going to help us. It's going to encourage us. Number one, he gives us wisdom in our weariness. He gives us wisdom in our weariness. Okay, look at verse two and three with me, if you will. This is the interruption. I love it. We'll go through two through four, but we'll start in two. This is Jesus, and it says, And he saw the two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Now, Jesus knows who, they are, who these people are. He knows those boats. He's been on those boats. The disciples take him everywhere. Um, he knows that the disciples have been out all night. He's God, first of all, so he knows everything. He's also Jesus, and he's very intelligent, and he can see them washing their nets, can probably sense the frustration because they've been out all night, and they've caught nothing. So then he... He says, he says, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land and sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Okay. And then he takes it one step further, and I want to break all this out. And then he says, and he stopped speaking. When he was done with his little sermon, he turns to Simon Peter, and he says, hey, let's go out deep. Let's go fishing. Okay. So just break this down for a second. Jesus is on the hillside. He's teaching, and people have gathered to hear him teach. And from a distance, Jesus glances and sees Simon Peter and the disciples Sees their boats and sees them washing their nets. Instantly, because he's God, he, 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 he understands like, oh, these guys are frustrated. They had a rough night. Things are bad. If you walk up to someone who hasn't had their coffee in the morning, that happened to me right now here in this church. You know, you walk up and you can tell, you're like, hey, ooh, I'll just wait till you have the coffee. You know, you can tell because they look at you like, don't, I need coffee. You know, like, this is kind of the moment probably the disciples are having. And Jesus, Jesus reads it perfectly. And here's what Jesus chooses to do in this moment. This frustrating kind of a moment where they've been toiling all night long, kind of had it up to here. Jesus walks down the hillside, goes over to the boat, and gets in the boat. Peter's not even in the boat. It's not Jesus' boat to get into. And I'm sure Peter sees him. I'm sure he's like watching us like, you have got to be kidding me right now, man, as if this is the last thing I need. And then he says to Peter, hey, Peter, could, we, uh, could you uh, motor us out a little bit? I'm going to talk a little bit. So Peter has to come get in the boat, motor out, and then Jesus will proceed to deliver a sermon. So, I don't know what, 30 minutes? I'm guessing when you're the son of God, you can be as long-winded as you want because all of it's inspiring. So 40, 50, two hours? Who knows how? Can you imagine Peter sitting in that boat like, you have got to be kidding me. I've been up all night. I mean, I've got nothing to show for it. i got all these nets to watch. Jesus could be teaching. It's like Jesus divinely interrupts Simon Peter's schedule because he's making a point and he's up to something. So here he is. He's there, and he's preaching. And then at the end of it, he goes, gets done. And I'm sure Peter's like, sweet, thank God. Can we just, can we just get back to shore? He's like, Pete, let's go way out. Let's go way out far where it's super deep. Let's go fishing. And it is implied, and it's actually not even really implied. It's just pretty blatant there that Peter is like, I don't want to. I don't want to. You have kids. You ever ask your kids to do something? I don't want to. <laughs> you have a spouse? You ever ask your spouse to do something? I don't want to. <laughs> you know, it is an absolute, I mean, Peter here is, I don't want to do this. I've been out all night. I've toiled all night long. It's been hard. I have nothing to show for it. I'm tired. I'm dirty. You interrupted me. You made me pull out my boat. I wasted the gas. And now we're sitting here. You preach for two and a half hours. My Lord, I've already heard this sermon five times because I'm on tour with you. And now you want to go fishing again. And I just got done doing this. I don't want to do it. And Jesus, of course, knows that Peter doesn't want to do it. That's the whole point of this. 
this divine interruption. While I'm talking, just ask yourself, maybe what you're going through right now, maybe the night that you're experiencing, is it perchance? Now, this isn't always the case, but is it possible that life isn't interrupting you? God might be interrupting you. Because it is a big difference. It is not the same when life and people interrupt me and when God decides, like, hey, I'm going to interrupt you. So God is interrupting Peter. And Peter is essentially, it's applied, I don't, I don't want to do it. Like we toiled all night, Lord. I don't want to do it. Did you know that God knows what you want more than you know? Did you know that? God knows what you want, what you need, more than you know what you want, what you need. That's like with kids. Like my kids, when they were four years old, they didn't know what they wanted or what they needed. I told them what they wanted. That's, they, they didn't know. They don't know. When they're 13, remember when you were 13? Did you know what you wanted in life? No, I told you what you wanted in life because I'm your parent. That's my job. Now, when they could be 21, mom and dad, back off a little bit. <laughs> you know, they start to know what they want. But, like, I, God knows what you and I want and need more than we know. Now, I tell God all the time what I want. And I, I wonder if he's just up in heaven like, you have no idea what you want, man. And Peter's like, I don't want to do it. And God's like, trust me, you want to do what I'm telling you to do. I got a little, um, little nephew. His name's Elijah. He's the cutest guy in the whole world. And um, from my, my sister, Christiane, and her husband, Travis. And so we were, at, we were having dinner the other day, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a few months ago. And we had like these charcuterie boards and cheeses and meats. And Elijah, I think he's like six or seven. He's like sitting over it. He's, he's, like, he's like, his eyes are so big. And he grabs one of the cheeses. And he goes to eat and he goes, wait a second. What kind of cheese is this? And one of the family members is like, that's Havarti cheese, Elijah. Havarti. And he goes, ooh. And he goes to eat it, and he stops mid-bite. And he goes, hey, Mom, do I like Havarti cheese? <laughs> There's such a good moment. <laughs> and my sister, his mom, goes, yeah, you do. And he's like, mmm, delicious. <laughs> now, and she, and she said no, he'd be like, ugh. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't know. We think we know. We don't know. God gives us wisdom in our weariness. Okay, on a good day, with full energetic, if I'm following Jordan and Kimberly's eating plan and I have all my energy, maybe I know a little bit. But when I'm weary, when I'm exhausted, when, and here's the difference. It's not just, weariness isn't just physical exhaustion. Weariness is not only am I exhausted physically, I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted emotionally. I'm spent mentally. Spiritually, I'm kind of lean. Weariness is like, I just, I don't, I don't have any wisdom in those moments. I'll, I'll make the worst decisions of my life in those moments. God saves us from the night by giving us wisdom when we're weary. You know what else is implied in this? When Jesus says, okay, Pete, let's go far out. Let's, let's go out to the deep and let's go fishing. What's implied in Peter essentially says, he's like, I already did that. I already did it. Now I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm weary. I already did that. Have you ever felt like God compelling you to do something, to say something, to go somewhere, to make a decision, to follow through, and yet you're like, I already did it. I already went to them. So like, why are, why are you stirring my heart again? We already did it. It didn't work. We've already settled it. That's what Peter's essentially saying. like, I already did this. And essentially, Jesus is saying, do it again. Here's a thought. Don't let the toil of the night keep you from following God where he's leading you. Don't let the toil of the night, don't let the struggles of the past or the grind of the current keep you from following where God is leading, just because you're weary. 
Trust his wisdom. I'll even say this. Don't let it keep you from where God has already led you. <laughs> I'll meddle just a little bit. Um, some people in my world will be like, you know, God told me to do this. I'm like, awesome. And I feel it. And it'll tell you in the confirmation, feel like, feel, feel God's leading me to this. And then a couple months later, even a couple weeks later, like, God told me to do this. And it's the opposite. And my question is, like, did God change his mind or did you get confused? Because last time I checked, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his mind because he's perfect and he knows everything. There'd be no need to change his mind. But sometimes we let the toil of the night, the emotions of it, be like, ah, I don't think it's God. Okay, look, what, look what happens. The Bible says that they caught so much fish that, that the nets started to break. Now, historians will tell us that what they caught was almost a ton, almost 2,000 pounds of fish. Now, I don't know anything about that, but I've read that that's two weeks' worth of wages. Two weeks. So in one morning, in a few hours, they caught two weeks' worth of wages. Who's tired now? Take a vacation. You're covered. Because God's divine interruption leads to God's divine rest. Did you know that? If God interrupts your life, there is rest along the way. He does, in, he does in a few hours what they could not have done in two weeks. God gives us wisdom in our weariness. Hebrews 4.11 says this. It says, make every effort to enter into God's rest. God's rest. Another version says, strive to enter God's rest. You know, the Bible tells us we're not to strive for anything except for one thing. To enter into the rest of God, making every effort to get into this divine rest where God interrupts us and he, he does what we can't do in a matter of moments. When we're weary from the night. Listen to God. He gives us wisdom in our weariness. Unwanted interruptions often turn into, with God, unexpected blessings. Unwanted interruptions with God many times turn into unexpected blessings. Number two, another way he saves us from the night, he gives us confidence in the confusion. God gives us confidence in the confusion. Look at verses four and five. When he had stopped speaking, Jesus said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Another version says, because you say so, I'll do it again. Okay, let's just stop here for just a second. You find yourself in a confusing situation, not sure what to do. I love my wife shared in team today. She's like, have you ever been in a situation where you just don't know what to do? You have no idea what to do? Confusion, right? I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the best thing is. I'm not sure where to go from here. Look what Peter says to Jesus. Because you say so. I'll do it again. Emphasis on you because you say so. All right, God, we, Jesus, we were out there all night. We tried this again and again and again and nothing happened. But because you say so, I'll do it again. I, I've tried to reconcile my marriage. I've tried. I can't count how many times I've tried. But because, because you say so, I'll do, I'll do it again. I'll try again. I have tried to break the addiction. Have you ever dealt with addiction, habitual addiction? Over and over, but because you say so, 
God, if, you, if you're telling me to do it, well, I mean, that's enough for me. Then, then I, I've prayed so many prayers, and I haven't seen them come to pass. But because you say so, I will do it again. If, here's one of the most simple principles in all, of in all of Scripture. If God says it, do it. I can't get any simpler than that. If God says it, do it. Now, it's one of the simplest principles in all of Scripture, and yet it is one of the most difficult ones to act on. If God says it, do it. Do it again. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I'll do anything once. We had a saying back in the day, I was like, man, I'll give anything a go. But my, my, my mindset was like, I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work, we will put that away forever, and I will never give it a go. But what about when God's like, no, 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 let's do this again. Let's do this again, especially in marriage. I'm looking around at married couples around here. I'm like, oh, my. How many times has God told us, like, do it again? We <laughs> can't do it again. Okay, when I was in middle school. I was trying to learn multiplication tables. Horrible at it. I had, like, a mental block when it came to multiplying. Um, what do they call the times tables? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it. And I remember I was, and I had to pass, and so my parents were sitting down, and I mean, I would have so much frustration. I would cry. I remember sitting trying to do my homework. Because you ever play that game that they did with kids in public school? Super, super unnerving where you'd stand up next to one person and they'd do a flashcard and it'd be like four times five. And whoever gets it first moves on and the other person has to sit down in shame. <laughs> this was cruel. And so that game scared me to death because I was always the shame sitter. <laughs> like two times two. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And so we had to memorize these times tables. And I was terrible. I remember crying at night with my mom. I'm like, you can't do it. And she just kept saying, do it again. Do it again. And the way she got me to do it again is like I couldn't have dinner. And you're looking at me. Dinner is very important to me. <laughs> and so that added to my frustration and my emotional turmoil. I'm like, I want to eat. Get your times tables right. And so we drilled it over and over and over and over and over. And at some point, I don't know where it happened, I became a multiplying genius. Hit me with anything. Nine times seven, 63. Eight times four, 32. Four times nine, 36. I could just roll with them, man. I don't even think about them anymore. You're like, okay, that's not that impressive. <laughs> well, for me, it is. And I remember it wasn't, and I, I, I stopped at the 11s because I'd gotten so good at multiplying. I was the guy who'd run around the whole room. Like, I'd beat everyone. I'm like, sit down, man. I got you. Sit down. I beat every single person. I actually got kind of reputation. Like, dude, Billy's a boss. I'm like, boom, just boom. I mean, four times five, 20, boom. Six times three, 18, boom. You know, I just won. But I stopped at the 12s because I'd gotten so good. And now today, if you ask me at 12s, like, you know, 7 times 12, 84? I, can't even, I don't even know. I can't even know. But the other ones, it's because I did it again and again and again and again. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, because you say so, I'll do it again. I feel like for some people in this room, that is a prophetic unction from heaven. Just do it again. Apologize again. Dude, I've apologized to this person so many times. They don't, they don't want to hear it. They're stubborn. I've apologized so many times that I probably need to apologize, apologize again because I'm so mad at them and I've judged them so much in my heart. I owe multiple apologies. Do it again. Forgive them again. <sighs> Can't. Three strikes, you're out. 55 strikes, you're totally out. <laughs> if I could just hear the words of Jesus, do it again. Cast, cast out into the deep and drop your nets one more time. Put yourself out there again. I, this is real for me. 
over the last 10 years, there have been relationships in my life that have, that have gone to high, high levels and then just crashed and burned. And I remember saying to Jen, and I felt myself, what I was doing intentionally, I started to kind of like hold you right about here. Hey, nice to meet you. What was your name again? Cool. We'll just keep it right at that. And I didn't, I didn't want anyone to know, to get close, because it hurts, right? It hurts when you put yourself out there, and then people see the real you, and they're like, not interested. And you're like, oh. So you kind of, but, but I felt from the Holy Spirit. So I was like, you know what? I'm just, well, I guess we'll just go down swinging in a blaze of glory. Put yourself out there. Again, pray for that miracle. Again, I prayed all night, Pastor. I prayed all week. I prayed all year. I've been praying for years for a child. Pray again. This isn't me. Jesus says to Peter, do it again. Give it another go. I know we gave it a go. Now give it another go. What's he doing? He's saving us from the night. That's what he's doing. He gives us confidence in our confusion. I don't know what to do. Do what I say and do it again. Number three, he gives us levity with the weight. One of the ways Jesus saves me from the night is he gives me levity with the weight. Look at verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, when they had obeyed Jesus and gone out to the, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is a lot of weight, by the way. So much weight that the nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink. Now, we said it's about a ton, 2,000 pounds. I don't know how much it is. Can I just point out what might be an obvious observation to you but wasn't to me at first? It says the nets were breaking, but they didn't break. It says they were breaking, but the nets actually never break. You want to know why? Because Jesus refused to allow them to break. He gives us levity with the weight. That's what Jesus does. He eases the weight of life. They probably should have broken those nets. In fact, I don't think there's ever been a catch that big. They probably should have ripped. But Jesus holds it off because there is a weight in life. There's a song out there that says, gravity is working against me every second of every day. There is a weight. And it's not just a physical weight. There's a spiritual weight in this life. There's an emotional weight in this life. There is a mental weight in this life. There's a physical weight in this life. I walk in this morning. You walk in this morning. You greet people. You say hi to people. You can almost tangibly feel the weight in people's lives. Have you ever, have you ever recognized that? Like, how are you doing? Good. Ooh, weight. Right? You can feel it. God gives us levity in the weight. He gives us reprieve in the weight of life. God assists us with the weight that is inevitable in life. He assists us two ways. Divinely, just because he's God, and he can just divinely say those nets aren't going to break. They should break under the weight. They're not going to break because I'm God and I'm covering you. And he assists us through other people. Did you know that? Did you know one of the ways that God alleviates the weight of this life is through other people? You're like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure other people are the reason I have so much weight in this life. <laughs> That's also true. Man, it's a paradox. But one of the ways, the Bible says that they signal to the other boat. The other boat represents community, other people. Hey, yo, we're sinking. They call their friends, and their friends come over. Can I tell you what this church is all about? First of all, if you've been around here in time, you know what it is. We're about at a place where anyone can encounter God. 
So we're encountering God in this moment. We encountered God the moment we walked in the door. We're going to stand and sing worship here at the end of the service. We're going to encounter God. That's personal. It's between all of us. We do it corporately together. It's an amazing, wonderful thing. And this is a place where anyone can find genuine relationships with God. It is God and community. God assists us with the weight of life through other people. Have you ever tried doing life by yourself? I mean, I know people are messy. I know relationships get dicey. Trust me, I've had my fair share of, like, it was good, and then it wasn't good. They were with us, and then they weren't with us. We were together, and then we were apart. We loved each other, then we kind of hated each other. You were, you were for me, then you were against me. I like you, and I don't think I even want to talk about you, right? Like, I, I understand the mess that comes with people, but please do not forsake the fact that God alleviates the weight of life oftentimes through relationship. Oh, we need each other, whether you want to admit it or not. This is not just us coming to church and singing some songs and hearing a sermon and getting some coffee. No, this is we need each other. I mean, you might be like, well, I'm not close with anyone. Do you know sometimes just walking in a room, someone shakes your hand, says, yo, can I just pray for you real quick? Can I tell you how many times for me personally that has changed the game for me? I'm like, you have no idea. And they're like, I was just like, God bless my brother. I'm like, oh, thank you. I feel blessed. Thank you for calling me your brother. You know, like, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know the night that has rested on people's lives. We need this. How quickly have we forgotten since 2020? I remember 2020 hit. March, I was like, this is kind of cool. I mean, not the disease and all, but like kind of chilling, staying in my sweats all day. April, May, kind of fun, door dashing in, whatever. June, July, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going crazy. <laughs> I miss people. <laughs> We finally got together August, September around here, and I remember the first service we had. First of all, we were all tentative. It was like 200 of us were like, uh, hi, hi. And then we started singing, and man, I just felt like, oh my God, like I need community. God was always there, but I forgot how much I need just to see you and to smile. I'm like, how you doing? We should catch coffee. We should, we should go to the driving range. Let's go to the driving range. It's good to see you. Hey, man, can you pray for me? Jesus helps us with the weight of life divinely and through other people. And then it says that when the other guys came, verse 7, it says that they began to sing. Again, obvious observation, but not so much for me. They began to sing. They don't sink. They didn't sink, but they began to. And what was it that was causing all the sinking? Success. Now go with me for a second. They were sinking with success. That's what's happening. The blessing is so great. The catch is so, so bountiful that they are sinking. We need as much help from God with the blessings in this life as we do with the difficulties in this life. Do you know that? It was success that was sinking them. You know the night? can sometimes look like success, fame, riches, influence. I know from the outside, like we're all little kids, we're like, oh, I just want to be famous on TV. I want to be rich. I want to have influence. And like that's, but do you realize that you can get those things and be completely lost and utterly empty? That could be the night for you. It was success that was sinking them. There's this verse in Philippians 4.13. And the author says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. What it's not saying is I can do all things, then rely on Christ to give me strength. No, no, that's a, that's a formula for burnout. I'm going to do everything, and then God's going to give me strength. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that I can do the things that God has called me to, led me to, put in front of me, and there will be a divine strength for that. So you're like, I'm going for success, man. I'm doing it all. You better make sure that's where God is leading you. You better make sure that Jesus said, let's go out to there. Because you could do it all. I'm not going to stand up here and say, like, you can't get rich. You can't be successful. You can't win. You, you could do that. I mean, we could just go for it. We could just put our heads together, put our, put our nose to the grindstone. Is that what we call it? I don't even know. Square our shoulders and just dig in. And we could get far. But you could lose yourself in the process of all of it. It'd be the darkest night you've ever been in. You'd be the richest, saddest person on the planet if God's not in it. But now if God is in it, it's like, hey, here's where we're going. Ain't nothing wrong with success. Got a bunch of friends have been competing here lately. They're like, will you pray for me? Just pray however you feel God leads you. I'm like, I'm going to pray that we win, man. (laughs) So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray we win and we give the glory to God. And if we lose, God's still in control. I'm not defined by it. But no, there's, there's nothing wrong with success. But that success can actually, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when God calls me to do it, there is a divine strength that will enable me to do what he's called. Do you feel like you're burning out? Maybe what you're doing isn't exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe God hasn't called you to it. Maybe God hasn't called you to it. First of all, God is not the author of confusion. You're like, how do I know? He'll make it pretty clear. When you go to sleep at night, do you have peace? Does your conscience betray you? Do you just know? Sometimes we, like, convince ourselves, but when we're honest with ourselves and our thoughts are like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't have taken that job. I know it. I just, you know. You know. So maybe it's just a moment of honesty and vulnerability. I promise you, the moment you get in doing with what God has called you to do, there will be a divine strength, and you can do all those things. Because God gives us levity with the weight. Number four. Fourth way I think that we can get from the text that God saves us from the night is he gives us clarity through the clouds. He gives us clarity through the clouds. Verses 8 through 11 says, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw the blessing of God, the success of God, says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And verse 11 goes on to say, So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook everything, and they followed Jesus. Look at the response of Simon Peter in the midst of success, good fortune, in the midst of his miracle. What does he do? He kneels and worships God. The Bible says he's astonished. Him saying I'm a sinful man wasn't, he was just, he's like, I'm realizing how little I had to do with what just happened here. Because all last night, I toiled in the dark, and it got me nothing. And you show up, and you interrupt me, which was rude. And then you tell me to go out here, and you tell me to do the most ridiculous thing. And I do it. And historically, knowing I'm not a fisherman, but I've heard that like fishing in the morning is like, that's typically you fish at night. That's when the fish are biting. So this was even more compounded that this happened in the morning. And now 
There's so many fish. The success is so big that other boats are coming. And the nets are breaking. They're not broken. And the boats are sinking. They haven't sunk. And the only reason they haven't sunk and they haven't broke is because you've kept us together divinely because you're holding us. And, and, and Peter, at the realization of this, he falls to his knees. He says, you, you're God. All the glory is yours. And Jesus doesn't correct him. I love this. Like, if you do that to me, I'm like, oh, no, man, no, I really appreciate what you did. Like, I really appreciate your faith, man. It was, it was a team effort. Jesus does not say that. Jesus doesn't pull, it's you and I, Pete. No, he's, Jesus actually just says, he's, he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you courage. I'm going to be with you, and I'll do much more through you. He actually, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. I will. There is a, let me give you a point of clarity in the clouds. Because here's what happens sometimes. We get in the clouds way high up, and we lose clarity real quick. Uh, you... Peter and the guys could be like, did you see what just happened here? You see how much fish we just caught? We're on to something, fellas. Okay, we're going to start a business. We're going to do our own thing. Jesus, cool. Thank you for your help. What we're going to do is look how good we are at fishing. Look how much money we can make and look how far we could go. And we, the Bible says they forsook all of it. Like, oh, no, no, no. Because they understood. They understood where the miracle came from. It had nothing to do with them. They gave all the glory to God. Can I give you a clear point? If you find yourself in the clouds of success and just winning in life, all the glory belongs to God. All of it. He doesn't share glory. Oh, don't make me go theological on you. We'll do Bible study on this all day long. He does not share glory. God gives us salvation. God gives freely hope and peace and joy. He will give you purpose. He will give you strength divinely. He will give you rest. But God does not share his glory. And when we start to think we're sharing glory with God, that's when things get way off real quick. He doesn't share his glory. The Bible declares, the last book in, in the, all the Bible, Revelation, one of the last chapters, it says that God will come back for a glorious church. He's not saying that we'll be glorious. He's like, because of him, will be glorious. Our glory is merely a reflection of God. Scripture tells us that if we don't worship God, that if we don't do it, the rocks and the stones will cry out. All of creation gives God the glory. All the earth gives God the glory. All the heavens gives God the glory. There's verses throughout the book of Psalms where angels literally, it says they cry out before the Lord in the throne room 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for eternity. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God does not share glory. Yet so many times we start to see a level of success and what we do is we're like, to God be the glory. But in our mind we're like, but also a little right here, right? Okay, I mean, I am pretty good at what I'm doing, right? Yeah, come on, I mean, I've done a lot, I have a lot of experience. I met a lot of people, I've put a lot of work in. God doesn't share glory. Here's some clarity in the clouds for us. I hope you go so high. I really do. I mean, honest, I'll throw you on my shoulders and chuck you into the sky. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world to see people succeed and go for their dreams and just do it. Let's do it. But let us never forget where the glory lies. Oh, my goodness. Don't make me start doing a commentary on the church of God today in our society. Pastors in churches, you made me do it. Pastors in churches, sharing. God's glory. 
I sound like I'm mad. I'm not, but I kind of am. Because I'm wearing this, somehow I've made this better. Because I talk like this, somehow I've made this better. Because she sings, or he, sorry, Michael. Because <laughs> he sings so well, somehow he's made praise and worship better. <laughs> God. Moses said to God in the Old Testament, he's like, show me your glory. God said, are you crazy? I'm paraphrasing. Are you crazy? He's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do, Moses, for you. The one who got the Ten Commandments. Like this, Moses is like, he's up there in case you were wondering, you know, split the Red Sea, did the whole deal. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a, the cleft of a rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'm going to walk by you. And at the very last second, I'm going to remove my hand just so you can see my backside. And that's, that's going to change your whole life. But if I showed you even a glimpse of my glory, it would kill you. It's laughable when people are like, well, we can't steal God's glory. Of course you can't steal God's glory. That's like a two-year-old trying to steal a cheeseburger out of my hand. You can't steal that. That's ridiculous. I'm insulted to think that. No one steals God's glory. He said, let there be light, and it happened. But, but we subtly try to share it. Well, Jesus, you know, I mean, I did craft that net from hand fibers. We worked all night for that. And, you know, I mean, the boat's pretty rigged pretty good. I've been doing this for a few years. Now, Peter just falls on his knees and says, I am a sinful man. And then when they get to the shore, just to make a point, all the success, all of it, like, yeah, we'll just forsake that. The Bible says they forsook it all. That means it's like, that's like me giving you two weeks worth of wages, or maybe it'd be the two months worth of wages in a, today, and you're like, throw it on the ground, just going, I'm just gonna follow Jesus. Because they realized the value of that as opposed to the value of following the light of the world. John 8 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in you say, oh, so there will be no night. No, 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 no. No, there's night. Some of you are in the night right now. But you will not be walking in darkness because you will have the light of light. Well, I walk through the dark all the time. I, I, mean, I walk through the night all the time. The night, in fact, is all around me. But he's the light of the world. And I walk with him. He's a lamp to my feet. He's a light to my path. You feel the night around you? I feel it. I do. In certain seasons of life, maybe you feel it even more. I'm willing to believe that there's people in here right now, you feel the night closing in on you. Maybe you came to church and this was like your last dish. Like, I'll just get to church, man, because I don't know. Things are getting super dark around here. Well, I have good news for you. The light can save you from the night. And his name is Jesus. He gives us wisdom when we're weary, confidence when we're confused. He alleviates the weight of life. And he brings clarity to us, no matter how low or how high we go. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to people in this room. Somehow take the combination of words that I've weaved together barely this morning. And by your spirit, speak to our souls. Let us feel the night. 
I feel it more than I want to admit. I sense it. The darkness that would try to discourage us, get us off track, disqualify us, take us out. Lord, I thank you that you are the light. And I'm asking in this moment, would you save us from that? Save us from the weight and the pain and the struggle. Only you can. There's no organization or way of thinking or self-confidence that could save us from it. Only you can. So Lord, we, we throw ourselves at your mercy right now. Lord, I thank you for the light of the world that illuminates and that it radiates, gives us joy and hope, clarity in it all. And I pray that for my friends, everyone that's in church today, Lord, that we would see you in it all. Help us right now in our circumstances. Lord, this interruption that has so shaken things up in our lives, thank you. And Lord, I pray, please come interrupt me. Please interrupt me, Jesus. Interrupt my, my regularly scheduled program interrupt the plan I had for my life. Lord, I thank you because I, I know on the other side of that interruption is your rest and is your purpose, is your provision. With every eye closed, I'll just give you an opportunity right now if you're in here and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, the Bible simply says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. It's personal. It's intimate. It's between you and God. He loves you. And even if you haven't been spending time with him, he has always been around you. I'm going to in a few moments, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to pray. And if you're in here and you say, Pastor, today I want to give, put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. When I get to three, would you raise your hand and then put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for? And every eye is closed. I'm not trying to embarrass you or single you out. This is between you and God. So when I get there, would you just, would you pop your hand up? I'm going to pray. And if the Bible says, believe in your heart in this moment, <laughs> and you will be saved. Saved. You say, oh, my problems will go away? No. Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. No, your problems are still going to be there, but now you have the King of Kings, <laughs> the Lord of Lords, walking alongside of you, guiding you and leading you, giving you wisdom and clarity and rest and hope and confidence in it all. Oh, we're going to be all right. So I'm going to count to three if you're in here. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I'd like to ask Jesus to save me. I know that he will. I'd be honored to pray. One two, three. Wherever you are, just pop it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I got you in the balcony. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone? Just pop it up. Put it right back down. God, you see our hands and you know our hearts and you've been a part of our stories. And right now, we just come to you humbly and we say, Lord, would you save us? Save us from our sin. Save us from the mistakes and the failures. Thank you for forgiving us because only you can. Thank you for loving us before we loved you. Lord, even though we don't understand everything about you because you're God and we are not, we choose this moment to put our faith in you and to trust you. Lord, we repent for sins we've committed, those we knew and those we didn't. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray.